Hello and welcome to today's episode of Shades of Grey, where we focus on innovation for the seniors. Today, our special guest is John Lloyd, the Chief Marketing Officer at Clearly So. John has had an interesting career as a management consultant in Accenture and then on to several roles working with uh, Wall Street firms. After a brief stint in real estate, he did his MBA at Columbia and moved to the UK to join Clearly So's board as their Chief Marketing Officer. For those of you who haven't heard of Clearly So, they are one of the top impact investment firms in the UK. I met John at a pitching event hosted by Clearly So last year, and since then we've been in touch um, for various uh, on various fronts. We've been having conversations, and I'm really excited to have uh, John join us uh, for the show. Welcome, John. Thank you. Thanks for having me today. Great, John. Uh, first of all, please do uh, tell us about your journey. Um, into Clearly So, what inspired you to join them? Sure, absolutely. So it, so it started out, um, you know, I'm originally from Tampa Bay, Florida. I graduated from, you know, University of South Florida, Management Information Systems. And as you, know, as you mentioned, I um, did some Accenture Consulting out of university. Um, in June of 2004, I, and I'll, this will make sense later on how, in terms of how I found my way to impact investing, but in June of 2004, I lost my mom to ovarian cancer after you know, a three-year battle. And so I threw myself into work. And in the summer of 2007, I moved to New York City to join this Sequoia Capital-backed fintech company called um, Trana. It was quite a wild ride. The company was uh, super successful. You know, it was acquired by ICAP, um, which changed its name later to Next Group for US $250 million. And then in 2012, um, seven of the world's biggest investment banks, who were our customers at the time, bought a uh, 12% stake at a 300 million valuation. So the company grew to 300 employees worldwide and is now one of the world's largest processors of over-the-counter trade data. So quite an exciting ride. And then everything changed in January of 2015. Um, My dad had passed away. Uh, from a sudden heart attack, I was woken up at you know 4:30 a.m. by my mother-in-law at her house in Surrey. I was visiting uh, London at the time, and I didn't realize how much my life would change um, from that point forward. Next thing I knew, you know, I was scheduled that day to fly back to New York and get back into work. And next thing I knew, I was flying to Tampa to to enter this sur- sort of surreal world um, that I was about to enter into. My dad was a um, successful real estate invest- investor in Florida, so my brother and I inherited his um, real estate investment business, which had a pretty significant um, property portfolio uh, down in Florida. Um, really, really challenging times. So 2015 was one of those major inflection points you, you go through in life. Um, you know, I'd, I'd worked really hard for everything, so I had all kinds of mixed emotions about uh, inheriting anything. So after a couple of weeks, um, trying to sort that out, I, I, I went back to New York City to my crazy life in New York and tried to get back in, into work. Um, you know, I was in the senior position as head of marketing and product strategy, well paid, but something just didn't feel right. So I went through a number of um, th- processes and thinking and emotions that year to figure out, you know, something wasn't right. I needed to do something uh, I needed to do something different. It wasn't all about just being successful, accomplishing accomplishing things from a financial perspective anymore. By the end of 2015, you know, after eight years in this fintech company, 
um, packed it up and moved to London with my my British husband Jack um, and discovered impact investing. I'd I'd never heard of impact investing before until I discovered uh, clearly so this impact investment bank. I'm like, what is that? Uh, but it felt right. It felt like an opportunity to get involved with doing something where not only you're going to make a financial return, but you're actually doing something that at its core is giving, uh, doing something positive uh, for society um, and the environment. So in, in January of 2016, um, you know, I, I joined Clearly So as their chief marketing officer. And within a few months, I um, decided to join Clearly So's uh, angel investor network. And I just start, started to deploy inheritance capital uh, into impactful businesses. Um, now, uh, as, of, as of today, I've now invested, uh, made 10 investments, sorry, in um, seven businesses, in, including Clearly So itself. That's, uh, that's quite a journey. Um, so impact investing has become a fairly hot topic in, in recent years. And, and you mentioned your, your journey or, or foray, if you will, um, when you went to London and discovered that. So for our listeners um, who are not completely familiar with it, can you tell us a little bit more about what exactly is impact investing? And in your point of view, what are the sectors right now that are attracting the most capital? Sure. Ha- happy to, Theo. So, well, you know, first of all, I don't view it as a, you know, a separate asset class or sector. Um, impact investing is really, it's really an investment strategy. That means taking into consideration not just the potential risk and return of an investment, but also looking at the social uh, and or environmental impact when making investment decisions. So it's constant, consciously choosing to invest in companies that are actively generating positive social and or environmental impacts. It's a further progression from just divesting from businesses that are generating negative impacts. You know, for example, divesting from coal or fossil fuels. With impact investing, investors are choosing to direct capital towards businesses and funds that are focused on tackling some of the biggest social and environmental challenges you know, the world faces. Um, impact investing is hot. So you hear it increasingly in the news and the mainstream press but it still has a very long way to go to achieve its full ambitions. Um, according to the Global Impact Investment Network, also known as GEN, I, I think they've estimated there were somewhere around the neighborhood of approximately $228 billion of impact investments under management you know, by the end of 2017. And, re- and really, this is just pocket change. When you consider that this represents less than 1%, uh, more precisely, somewhere like in the neighborhood of 0.3% of all global assets under under professional management in the world. Um, also, you know, according to the United Nations, we need to be investing somewhere around five to seven trillion per year in order to achieve the UN sustainable de- you know sustainable development goals by 2030. So again, we really have a long way to go still. Um, in terms of active sectors, I would say two of the most active ones at the moment would be probably be clean energy um, and the environment. That would probably be, be number one. Um, and then healthcare. Um, you know, if you don't have a stable environment to sustain human life, uh, then the rest really doesn't matter because we won't be here. So I think clean energy and the environment really is, is number one. Um, here at Clearly So, we are seeing a tremendous amount of activity um, in these two areas. And I'm not alone in saying this. So at the end of last year, 
uh, we conducted a, a series of interviews with the Clearly So Angels, which is the UK's first and largest network of individuals and families dedicated to investing uh, with an impact lens. From those interviews, clean energy, the environment, um, and also healthcare were both um, at the top of the list. Thanks for that, John. Um, this podcast is uh, largely about innovation for the older adults or seniors, as we call them. Um, when I was at uh, the pitching event where we met about a few months ago, um, I did see a couple of firms pitching for uh, for uh, funding in this space. I think one was largely focused around um, um, the financial education of uh, of the older adults and, and bringing some um, cool technology aspects angle to uh, financially educating them or bringing them up, uh, up the curve. So uh, how do you see this space uh, from your experiences of, uh, or meeting meeting and uh, talking to these um, in firms in the UK. Well, where do you think the opportunities are? Yeah, well, well, first of all, I think compared to my home country, um, the United States, the UK is doing a much better job. Um, and the reason I say this, the UK is starting from a better place. So the social safety net in the UK is far stronger, even though it has been you know, weakened some in recent years. Um, you know, what, and while there is an incredible number of bright and talented entrepreneurs here in the UK, coming up with innovations for older adults, um, there still isn't, isn't enough capital to, to support them, as I, as I highlighted to earlier. Um, to mention a, a few examples of businesses, businesses we've worked with at Chloe So that are, that are helping in this area, um, one of them that, that I'd like to highlight, and it's also one I've, I've personally invested in, is called Elemental Software. Um, and this is a digital health platform that's focused on what's called uh, social prescribing. Uh, so social prescribing, um, it's also known as and some, sometimes called a community referral, is a means of enabling the GPs and other primary care professionals uh, refer people to a range of local and non-clinical services based in their, in their communities. Um, another one that I think is really interesting that, I've, again, I've also personally invested in is using, it's called SuperCares. Um, and SuperCares is using um, artificial intelligence and machine learning to intelligently match cares with families in need of uh, care and care and support. Um, and then a, a third one I'd like to highlight, and this is one, um, it's, a, it's a social enterprise and community transport operator called um, HCT Group. And what they're doing is they're helping to provide access to transport. So they're helping older people and people with disabilities to get out, out and about. So there's a quite, quite a range of different things from the digital health space to matching uh, carers with families to providing, to providing transport. Um, and just to highlight a few, but there's a number of examples um, that, are, that are looking to tackle, tackle that challenge. We would like to give a mention to our creative partner, Tremendousness. Tremendousness is a creative agency that uses visual thinking, information design, and storytelling to help organizations explore and explain complex ideas, innovations, products, and processes. Learn more at www.tremendo.us. That's amazing. And, and I resonate with you too. It's, you know, I think there are a lot of bright ideas out there. They're just 
doesn't seem to be enough capital to support that effort. So in your mind as an investor, from your point of view, what are the key aspects that the, our ecosystem need to understand to further spark more activities, both in terms of innovation from entrepreneurs as well as investment uh, from, from VCs? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's, uh, it's you need to understand some of the, the big, big trends, I guess. So in terms of healthcare, there's this movement away from treatment to prevention, from illness to well-being. Um, I think there's a big need and trend about providing access to, to transportation options. And then innovations, and this is a big one, I think, is innovations that can help uh, bridge the technological divide, which can sometimes feel like uh, this moving target as the rate of technological change continues, continues to accelerate. Um, there's a research paper that caught my attention years ago. I think it was from, I don't know, 2000 or 2001 by, by a guy named um, Ray Kurzweil titled The Law of Accelerating Returns. Um, you may have heard of him, but for listeners who don't know him, Kurzweil is this world-renowned inventor and futurist. And his paper looked at the history of technology and showed that technological change is really moving um, exponentially, not in a, a linear fashion that many people Incorrectly, incorrectly assume, um, you know, and based on his analysis, he concluded that, you know, we won't experience 100 years of progress in the 21st century, definitely not at the same rate um, as the 20th century, at least. It will feel more like 20,000 years of progress comparatively. So while this technological divide is already a big problem, it's going to get, I think, even even bigger. Right. So, um, slightly moving on from that, um, John. Um, so, one of the one of the firms that uh, I'm currently uh, talking to, they are uh, they are in the pensions tech space. And one of the stats that that kind of uh, shook me a little bit was that most senior adults in the UK um, are going to be retiring with a state pension because there's not much of a savings culture in this part of the world. Um, so, uh, what is being done around that, and then what kind of financial inclusion um, use cases are you seeing uh, uh, within within from from a clearly so special, uh, specifically from their activities uh, or from your activities rather? Um, uh, what are the use cases you're seeing that addresses financial inclusion for the for the for the seniors? Sure. You know, first of all, when we say financial inclusion, we're really we're really concerned about how do we make sure everyone has access or the ability to access financial services. Um, and, you know, and I think the technological divide, you know, the rise of digital banking and movement toward the cashless society are really exacerbating this problem. Um, and clearly so, we've worked with a number of really fascinating businesses and funds um, trying to tackle financial inclusion. Um, one example is a business called We Are Digital. And, and Aaron, I think this may be the one you're, you're referring to that you saw at the, the event at the end yes. of the summer. Yeah. Um, and what We Are Digital does, and this is a great use case because it, it covers financial inclusion, but also um, for, for older adults, it's a challenge as well. But what We Are Digital does, it provides a digital, and a digital and financial training to some of our most vulnerable communities to ensure that no one is left behind or excluded by digital uh, illiteracy. As increasingly businesses, governments, housing associations, everything seems to be moving to this new digital um, online world. I think there's somewhere in the neighborhood, uh, I think it estimated 12 million or so people across the UK who lack um, digital skills. And frequently these are older people 
those who are un unemployed or receiving benefits and those with, uh, with disability, disabilities. Um, what We Are Digital does is it runs the largest centrally controlled network of uh, information technology tutors in the UK across 40 different regions to, to reach those who are in need of digital or financial training. Um, it reaches its target market through contracts with housing associations, governments, um, and banks. Um, so that's one example of sort of a you know a, a, an individual business, but I also think you're seeing a lot of activity um, on the impact funds front. So you know a good example of that is one called Bam Bamboo Capital, and Bamboo Capital's impact funds they they focus on uh, you know three sectors: so finance, energy, and healthcare. And in each of them, uh, Bamboo Capital believes that technology and data analysis provide the opportunity to, to revolutionize key services, whether it be financial inclusion, access to clean energy, um, or access even to to healthcare. And then, out, you know, outside of um, you know, outside of the the, the Chloe So world, I think another interesting you know business that's out there, and you've probably heard of Pocket. The Pocket's one that's out there in the market that's um, providing banking and credit services for the somewhere in the neighborhood of eight million people in the UK. That either do not have a bank account or are poorly served by the high street banks. There's definitely um, a lot of work that can be done and, and needs to be done. Um, so, on that front, can you tell us a little bit more about the roadmap for Clarissa for the next few years? What are some of the topics that um, you, you uh, focus on? Is that going to be the similar priorities that you were talking about earlier, or is that something different? Yeah, sure. So, it's, so as Europe's leading impact investment bank, clearly so has really been at the forefront of the movement towards impact investment in, in Europe. Um, and over the next few years, I definitely think a focus is going to be driving an increase in institutions investing, in particular more mainstream institutions, um, especially as more of these firms become aware that these are, there are also commercial opportunities where you can make, you know, similar rates of return um, to traditional investments with the, the risk and return only strategies. Um, if, we're, if we're really going to make progress towards achieving the UN Sustainable Development Goals, we absolutely need more mainstream institutional capital deployed using um, impact investment strategies. Um, also, as clearly says, the only dedicated specialized impact fund placement agent advisory service in Europe, I think we will continue to see a further increase in the work that we are doing with impact funds. Um, you know, our CEO, Rod Schwartz, recently described impact funds as the, uh, the gateway drug to investing differently. Um, and they really do provide a great entry point for high net worth individual, individual and institutional investors who may not have the experience or time to diligence uh, direct impact investments in private businesses. You know, I believe the, the, the proliferation and growth of impact funds will, will help accelerate uh, this migration of assets under management towards impact investment strategies. That was a, a great explanation, uh, John. So um, we're kind of coming to the close of the uh, episode. One, one final question I have for you is, what's your favorite book that you're reading at the moment? <laughs> Good question. Well, well, there are more than one. Um, when I was younger, I was very intrigued by the Jared Diamond books, Guns, Germs, and Steel, which I think 
came out sometime in the late 90s and collapse, you know, how societies uh, choose to fail or survive, I think somewhere around 2005. Um, and interestingly, in his books, he had identified these 12 environmental problems facing the world, humankind today. Um, you know, the first eight uh, he identified have historical relevance to the collapse of past societies. So it's a, the typical stuff we hear about today. And the news, deforestation, soil and soil fertility, and I have my list in front of me just as a reminder. Um, water management problems, over hunting and overfishing, effects of introduced species on native species, um, overpopulation, and rates of consumption and increased per capita impact of people. And then he went on to add um, you know, his four additional factors, which were, you know, he thinks is contributing to the weakening society of collapse of society and potential future societies it's climate change or um, pollution and the buildup of toxins in the environment energy shortages and the earth's photosynthetic capacity reaching maximum human usage um, the reason i was so intrigued by these books is I, I think there's just so much we can learn from studying you know patterns from history past civilizations and in particular from the mistakes um, that have been made um, while situations in the present don't match exactly there are there are patterns or echoes that can help us to some degree uh, predict the future or at the very least take action not to repeat past mistakes. Um, at the moment, though, I'm reading you know about about halfway through um, Seth Abramson's Proof of Collusion: How Trump Betrayed America. It's like an epic spy novel, except it's the reality we are currently living in. Um, the author does uh, you know Abramson does a really great job explaining and laying out the framework for what is turning out to be an incredibly complex conspiracy. Um, one that is very hard for the casual observer, you know, the American people in the world to, to understand. And unless you're paying close attention to it every single day. Um, but the motivations of the villains in this complex mess of a conspiracy are really quite simple to understand. Um, it's pure greed. It's personal enrichment without regard uh, for anything or anyone else. And I think it's that mindset, you know, like ignoring the externalities, the impact on others, uh, that, it, that is, is off, has gotten us into many of the troubles society and the environment um, are facing today. Greed-driven instead of impact-driven. Uh, the anti-sorry, the antithesis of impact investing, really. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much for all the insights, John, and thanks for making time um, uh, for this uh, wonderful uh, conversation. Thank you both. I really appreciate it uh, being on today. Thanks for joining us.